I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Episode 7 of the Power Players Podcast, powered by Radio.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, DMC, Danielle McCartan. And today, for you, I have the first woman hired as a full-time hitting coach by our Major League Baseball team. Her name is Rachel Bokovec. Rachel, thanks for joining the show. I'm very excited to have you on today. Thank you so much. This is an honor, and I, I love chatting with other baseball folks, so let's do it. All right. So first, um, I've already told you this in an email, but for the listeners, on career day in elementary school, I would always decorate myself or my character with long brown yarn for hair. And then I would take out the blue marker and draw a Yankee uniform on myself. And my career choice through elementary school was the first girl Yankee player. Well, Rachel, I'm 31 years old. It's safe to say that ship has sailed, but you get to put the pinstripes on and go to work. What does that mean to you? I can't believe you just told that story, and I will echo the story. So in fourth grade, I said that I wanted to be the first ever female NFL kicker. So we have really strangely similar uh, stories there. Um, so I, um, you know, to be, I'll answer it from two aspects. To be a part of the Yankees first is just, you know, there's so much tradition and history. It's too big to, like, comprehend, and it's just an honor. You know, it's a privilege to do that anytime, and especially with... It's it's like a hat tip to the Yankees because they are so traditional and they have so much history and they have so much success. For them to take a kind of rogue step in hiring a woman as a hitting coach, it just speaks a lot to who they are as an organization. And also, it's not just me. They've hired other pretty like unique and forward-thinking hires as well. From the personal aspect, is just it's an honor to have the pressure and the responsibility of a role like this. And so I don't take it lightly. I'm so glad that I get to be a visible idea for young women and women in general and dads. So men too that are reaching out to me and saying, I never knew this was possible. I'm so excited for my daughter type of thing. And then even more personally, my family, I just think like, you know, my great grandparents came over on the boat 
and my grandfather was in World War II, and both of my grandmothers did not graduate high school, and my mother barely went to college and didn't have opportunities to play sports that much. One generation, think about the leap from my mom's, now she was in a smaller town in Nebraska, so I mean, but she didn't even have like high school programs where she could really participate, and here I am playing college softball and coaching in men's professional sports. It's just like, to reflect on all of those things are just massive, you know, layers of thought processes and things I've been thinking about for quite some time because I've been in baseball for a while now, but it's just definitely an honor. Well, we're also similar in that, a lot of what you just said, uh, family life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Nebraska and wanting to be a kicker. I was very specific in wanting to play for the Yankees. Did you, did you have a, a football team and, and or a baseball team growing up? I did not. So that's a unique thing that it's different, I guess, than what most people expect of me because of my role. But growing up in Nebraska, we didn't really follow professional sports we followed the Huskers Mm -hmm. and that was it and so Husker football and I think that you know me wanting to be a football player was probably just like me wanting to impress my dad in some ways um like the Husker football we would watch my dad and I would watch the games together and that was a bonding point for us didn't grow up watching baseball I did pretty soon grow up watching softball so not a ton I mean the Olympics Jessica Mendoza like those people those people were characters for me that I knew existed and were playing the sport that I loved and then by the time I got to high school I was watching college softball on TV you know I didn't watch baseball but it's because like it wasn't my sport. So like I didn't play baseball growing up. I always had an opportunity to play softball, which I feel for the girls who did not have the opportunity, don't have competitive softball leagues, but they want to play. And so they play baseball and then they're told they can't play baseball. And so I feel for those young ladies, but I didn't have that experience. I had plenty of opportunities to play softball growing up and also just at a really competitive level to the point where I could earn a, a division one scholarship. So I grew up just being a softball fan. I fangirl over like Kat Osterman, who was yeah. a pitcher at Texas when I was yeah. like, I, that's yeah. who I was watching. So in my first episode of this podcast, actually, you're, you're number seven, Mickey Mantle, by the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I had I had on a Yankees radio legend, Susan Waldman, and she told me that the late George Steinbrenner always liked to be ahead of the curve on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised that such a, air quotes, traditional organization would hire, again, air quotes, an outside-the-box candidate like yourself? I was not surprised. And I'll share a little bit of background. I wasn't surprised because I try to really study organizations. It's fascinating to me. I study not just what is, like, going on from, like, a baseball standpoint, but, but like, what the organization is doing. Who are they hiring? Do they have two farm directors? Do they have one farm director? How many minor league teams do they have? Why are they moving players up and down? What they're trading? I try to study that. It's fascinating to me. One of my biggest passions is organizational culture and understanding why groups of people succeed and why they don't. So when I was, um, this is jumping ahead, but I had gone back to school in 2018 at the end of the season. I was working for the Astros and quit and went back to school in Europe. I was planning on coming back to baseball and I started just, I was just paying attention. You know, winter meetings came and I was paying attention to who was being hired where and how Michael Elias left the Astros and went to the Orioles and is growing that organization now and just like studying different things and I just paid attention and as I saw the Yankees make their hires for key positions in the organization I was like okay they might be traditional but they're also one of the most successful organizations in all of sports in the entire world for a reason so it seems like they're traditional, but they're also extremely progressive and they probably always have been, but they just have this reputation of being very traditional because they've been successful. So there's a lot of like heritage and just pride and in and, and winning, but that doesn't mean that they're traditional 
dinosaurs. I'm just another manifestation of that. I forget where, but you said the Yankees are doing some really amazing things with developing their form system and making progressive changes there. What have Mm -hmm. you experienced so far? So they hired Sam Breen from Driveline, and that would have been almost a year ago. They hired him mid-season last year. And then they also hired my current boss, Dylan Lawson, from the Astros. And both of those guys are extremely progressive, right? Like data-driven, using technology to make decisions for development, being objective about what they're doing, using research-proven methods. And that was what I was referring to there. And that's exactly what I've seen. It's just that like both of them are just absolute... I I use the word visionaries because they're just doing things differently than has ever been done in professional baseball. So both Dylan Lawson and my boss, the hitting coordinator, and also Sam Breen are just phenomenal. And so that's why that's what I was talking about by saying that they were making really progressive moves. They're hiring a lot of people from the college setting because uh, player development in the college setting is far superior, in my opinion, to some of the development systems that are in professional baseball, driven by the fact that every year you have to win or you lose your job after a couple of years. So there's just a lot of pressure to develop. Right. So we see some really elite systems of player development in college. And so they're hiring a lot of college coaches and kind of implementing some of those concepts, not all of them, but some of those concepts in the professional setting. They're just making progressive moves. Like everywhere you look, they really are. If you're paying attention to what's going on inside player development. So we've got a listener question, uh, Kevin from Camden, New Jersey. He wants to know who Mm -hmm. has been the biggest inspiration in your career so far? (laughs) That's I have a list of 10. <laughs> All right, give me um, number one. Who came like, up number one yeah, in your like, mind? Yeah, like, I mean, just who popped into my head right away is Gene Afterman and Kimming. And for the listeners who don't know, like, Gene Afterman is assistant GM for the Yankees. She's a, she's a, a lawyer, and she's been in the game for, I think, 30 years, and just... She pioneered some scouting methods back in the day with Asian baseball players. Not all of Asia, but you know what I'm saying? Like she was heavily involved, I think, increasing some of the coverage that was over Japan, I believe. I don't want to get that wrong. But also Kim Ng, who's been in the game for forever. So those women, you know, when I was getting in, I was a strength coach and there were no women. I mean, like... I didn't have a role model in that particular area, but I did know about Kim Ng and I did know about Gene Afterman. And even though they weren't in my particular role, I knew that they were powerful women in baseball. And it's like, well, I didn't see a difference, although everybody else in their mind saw a difference in what Kim Ng and Gene Afterman does, but I didn't. I was like, well, if they can be in those roles, then I can be in this. Like, what's the difference? So when your hiring was announced, I made a big deal about it on Twitter. And people in my timeline (laughs) were telling me that there's no way that a man will take instruction from a woman at that elite level. How do you respond to that? Uh, I mean, well, you could just ask the hundreds of baseball players that I've already coached, and they'd probably tell you that that's not the case. When it broke, I heard plenty of times, you know, well, how, how are the Latin players going to react to her? And it's like, I've already worked with hundreds of Latin players, and I've lived in the Dominican Republic, so check your facts. Like, it's, not, <laughs> it's, it's too late for you to worry about that because it's already been done, and it's been done well. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job still. I got a phone call today from a player that was with the Cardinals. He was there day one when I showed up, and he ended up making it to the big leagues. He's one of the gruffest, toughest guys I know, and I won't say a name or what he does. I haven't talked to him in years, and he called me today and was like, your presence was so well-known, and you know, he was like, I always respected you. We were talking about some business things, some other things that he's trying to get into, but that's like the most alpha guy I know. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I think at the end of the day, there's a very obvious difference between me and them. So when I walk in the room at first, they're probably like, oh, like, how is this going to work? And then I open my mouth for five seconds and they're like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> like if you walk in a room and you can command a room and you're knowledgeable and you're passionate and you're consistent and you show up every day and you're holding them to high standards eventually and when I say eventually I, it usually takes like a month maybe two for everyone just to like forget you know at first they're kind of like okay what's this about how's this gonna work I think that it's fair for them to be like eh, well, how's this gonna work because they've never experienced it you know right. it's changed if there is a weird interaction or someone doesn't really talk to me that much or whatever I'm just like okay well you know they'll figure it out I'm confident in how I can present myself and I'm confident in what I know and I'm, I'm also confident in the fact that if I don't know something that's okay and I'll admit it and I'll say I don't know all of those qualities are things that are not specific to gender going to get you respect. It is, at first, I think it's an adjustment for them, and that's fine. And I just let them adjust. I used to probably get a little more offended if some, you know, if someone didn't want to talk to me too much or if I felt like there was a weird interaction, I used to get offended. But now I'm like, you know what? It's different. And I don't like change. You don't like change. Nobody likes change. So I just have to let them adjust and be empathetic, and that's it. So you said, at the age of 31, I moved to Europe for a second master's degree and depleted my life savings doing it. I think this was a tweet. In September, my credit card was declined because I was so broke. In October, I made history for the second time in my life. That's just one of the times I've put it all on red. Obviously, a roulette reference there. What's another time that you've done that? <laughs> one of the other times. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is like a little longer story. I'll try to make it short. You can obviously ask questions and we can dive in. But in 2013, I was blatantly discriminated against and I was told that I wasn't going to be hired because I was a woman. Long story short, I sat that season out and then the following off season, I got an internship for the Chicago White Sox and then I got hired full time by the Cardinals in January of 2014. But when I was hired by the St. Louis Cardinals, so that whole year I waitressed and then I also worked an internship on top of that at Arizona State University in the mornings so that I could keep my foot in coaching and also coaching baseball. So I was helping with softball, baseball and women's soccer. I had that on my resume and then I was waitressing to pay the bills because I was working for free at Arizona State. Then I picked up another internship for the Chicago White Sox and I was working for almost nothing for them. So I was like really busy working for free. I could barely make any money to like feed myself. I mean, it was, you know, the baseball offseason, it's like by January, people are hired. So I was so sure that I wasn't going to be hired that season again, even after applying for multiple jobs that I actually had applied and got into Eric Cressy's internship in Boston. And I was planning on moving to Boston in January and like doing God knows what like I was gonna I don't I don't know I think I was gonna sleep in my car in January in Boston like I just had no plan zero money I don't even know if I had gas money to get there I just was like whatever it takes you know I'm just gonna do it and I'll figure it out and so anyway I ended up getting a phone call from the Cardinals that I interviewed I'll never forget I think I had to borrow money to like buy a blazer I had to borrow money from my sister to wear a blazer to this interview at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> That's how broke I was. So I ended up getting offered that job. And I, the day that I accepted the job for the Cardinals, I overdrafted my account. Anyone that you see that's doing something truly different, even any successful business owner or just anyone who's doing something truly different, you can guarantee two things. They've been lonely, they've been rejected, and they've been broke. And I've been all of those many times. <laughs> so I think that's just one, another story that just resonates with a lot 
lot of people is like, yeah, like my credit card was declined in September and then I made history. So it's all worth it. And I would, I planned that. I didn't plan to overdraft, you know, I didn't plan to overdraft my counter, you know, but I, I planned it. I, I quit my job in 2018 at the end of the season. I went back to school. So I had school bills and then I didn't have a salary for a year and a half. Like, I don't know many people that would be financially well off after that. So I like was at my like, end of my money and then I was hired by the Yankees and it's like I knew that was coming I planned for it I didn't buy a piece of clothing for like a year and a half I slept on three mattresses that I pulled off of the curb and brought up to my apartment in Amsterdam because I, I knew that it was coming like I was gonna have to put it all in and risk everything and it paid off where do you get your work ethic from my parents that's a very simple answer I have two sisters they set us up to do anything that we wanted to we were the middle of the middle road we were just blue collar you know, we had everything we needed, but nothing that we didn't. <laughs> we, we went out to eat once a month. That was like huge. And we usually didn't even do that. We like would order pizza. And it was the biggest thing. So we just were very, very middle class. My parents made us get jobs when we were 14. And before that, we were babysitting. They always made us understand the value of earning something. We, I was probably like this when I was 10. So that was for sure my parents. My dad's a girl dad. He has three daughters. And if you tell my dad, he gets upset. Like when people are like, oh, three daughters must have been hard. <laughs> He's like, oh, really? Let me tell you about my daughters. I'll start with the one that's coaching for the Yankees. <laughs> like he, like, he just takes so much pride in the fact that he raised us to be like very capable young women. And he really did. And for example, I credit this to my dad. I remember when I was 10, 11 years old that my dad would go to the YMCA and I would go with him. At that point, I just wanted to hang out with my dad. But what it turned into was by the time I was 16, my dad was like, I can't go to the gym as much as you go. And so he's like, <laughs> so by the time I turned 16, I was already, I had that habit when I was 16. It's because my dad let me come to the gym with him when I was 10. He didn't tell me, no, stay home. You don't belong there. That's not for girls. Instead, he brought me with him and I was like in the free weight section doing God knows what, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I was probably, I probably was doing bicep curls with five pounds. But the point is that I was probably the only 10 or 11 year old in the free weight section using dumbbells. He let me do that. He encouraged me to do that. And that was how it was for all of us. They just supported us being very capable. I kind of like to joke that like by the time I was discriminated against, first of all, it was shocking because I was naive because I had never been really told that I couldn't do something, which is a credit to my upbringing and my early mentors and my early coaches. That's how I got through it is because when I was discriminated against, I just was like, what's wrong with these people? You know, it didn't deter me. It, I was like, what? What? Like, no. Did you see my resume? I don't understand what you're not, like. What do you mean? I, I don't care if I'm a girl. Did you see what I've already done? Like, I thought they were crazy. It, it didn't really deter me. I mean, it did, but not to the point where I quit, obviously, because I'm talking to you right now. But I mean, that was one of the things that really set me up for success was just that early upbringing of grit and work and the work will pay off and just kind of that mindset. All right. So speaking of mindsets, let's jog your hitting mm -hmm. philosophy a little bit. You have on your sure. Instagram uh, a story of book quotes. So I found one actually this morning and you posted it and it said, in a good coach player relationship, there should be attention. It's my job to bring them to their potential. And that's never entirely comfortable for them. As a coach myself, I sat there and I reflected on it a little bit and in which ways or what do you do to create that tension in your players? You have to create a, a practice environment that is going to elicit change. And change doesn't happen unless there's a reason to change. The reason to change is usually that the environment, your uh, skill set or your tools or your swing or your mindset or whatever no longer will survive in the environment. 
a very blanketed easy example is you can throw batting practice to someone all day and they do fine and then as soon as you get them in a game facing 95 there's a problem that might exist in a room temperature water but as soon as you turn the heat up and it starts boiling that no longer works to create a practice environment basically that is so difficult that you know they're going to fail because in the game as we all know, baseball is a game of failure. We always say, like, if you get a hit three times out of ten, you're one of the best in the world. If you don't create that level of failure in practice, you're not really serving the athlete. Now, there's a time and a place. If you're making macro-level mechanical changes, you probably don't want to turn the machine up to 100 miles an hour and just let them right. die. Right. right? Like, so there's a time and a place. But if it's just normal practice and there's no huge mechanical changes going on or whatever, it has to be difficult enough to, like, force them to do the right thing. Because otherwise they can get away with too many swing flaws or lazy timing. You know, you don't have to be right on time if the ball's right down the middle at 75 miles an hour or less most of the time in batting practice. Right. So I think it's really just creating that environment. Now, that's that's from a literal standpoint of pitch velocity, right? But also mentally. So making them think, even just having a high amount of structure. So like this is going back to strength and conditioning days more than hitting, but the dynamic warm-up, I mean, it doesn't have to be an actual practice, but the way that I ran a dynamic warm-up was very organized and very tight, and it was never the same, so they couldn't just show up and go through the motions. I was changing it up daily, and I was making sure that they were having to listen to me, and I was coaching them. It has to have some level of sense of urgency, some level of difficulty, so they're actually having to apply themselves. I'm going to let you run with this. You've done extensive research on your for your second master's degree on eye tracking and vision. And in fact, I read that you studied under the leading research in the world on it. So just as far as you can go, give the audience a, a little taste of what that even is. The reason why I went to Amsterdam for my school was like trifold, basically. One of the leading researchers in the world in eye tracking was there. His name's Dr. Mann. I didn't work with him a ton directly, but being like the, the department was as high caliber as he, you know, he's like the whole department was on his levels. That was one reason. The other reason is because I knew that I was going to have an opportunity to work for the Netherlands national baseball and softball team as a hitting coach. So I knew that I could transition from strength and conditioning to hitting there and it would be on a, a smaller stage because it's the Netherlands and they do actually have a pretty good program, but not obviously on the level of professional baseball. I would say they're more like division two college level. So I was able to get my feet wet with that in the cages. And then I was able to take the coursework and actually go to school, which was phenomenal. And then also kind of because there was a heavy threat of eye tracking that actually the Netherlands national teams were already doing it. And then we're using virtual reality and those kinds of things. So yeah, that was why I went there. And then I had decided to do my research in eye tracking for hitters. And I decided to do it in something that's never been done before, which is on live pitchers and live hitters. So most of the research for eye tracking has been done on pitching machine or like a simulated pitcher. But at Driveline, we had the resources and we had the high level arms and high level hitters to be able to have hitters facing pitchers while doing eye tracking during a live at bat, which as you can imagine, they didn't always like. <laughs> sure. But it was so valuable. It was incredible. So spent six months, probably some, somewhere in the ballpark of four to 500 pitches mapped of eye tracking at driveline. And I can't say enough about driveline. They are innovative in every way. And I, I mean, they're doing, they are unprecedented. The work that they do is not being done anywhere else in the world. So it was a phenomenal learning experience. And I was supported there by a guy named Kyle Lindley, who was kind of on the project with me doing days tracking and he was doing a lot of back end like coding and numbers for it the data that we were collecting so i have to mention him because he's like my partner in crime in gaze tracking kyle Bodie's a visionary and that was an absolutely phenomenal experience learned a ton there so i'm just throwing this in there i'm totally with you i'm so into all that what about like the traditional baseball fan that's like we don't need we don't need these nerds behind a computer doing uh, computer science in order to hit a ball 
Well, I would say that that's unfortunate because it's not going back. <laughs> it's right. not going back. Um, I don't know. I, for me, it's interesting because I came in the game at 2012. I remember the first time that Zepp came to present to the St. Louis Cardinals. I think it was 2014. I think. Maybe 15. Zepp was, at the time, a bat sensor company, and Blast Motion is now what everyone knows. Right when I was getting into the game, technology was exploding. And so I kind of just, like, grew up with it. That's kind of all I knew. But also, it just lends to my personality. Like, I want to know. I don't, I don't want to just use, I don't even, I never have trusted my eyes. Never. I've always used video. I've always used a camera, even when it was like, this is who I am. I'll just give you an example. In 2012, I did a research experiment myself where I was the rookie league strength and conditioning coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I was in the dugout during the games. I had three stopwatches going. I was timing time in between pitches, the length of the inning, the length of the rest for the pitcher in between innings, how long their whole outing was. And then I was also tracking runs for the defense. So if the center fielder went to go run for a ball, I would count the steps back to his position and I would like assume that each step was a yard. So I would like basically estimate yardage of how far they sprinted. So then I could plan their conditioning based off of the volume of running they were doing in the game. So that's who Rachel Balkovic was before technology. You know, so like I was already trying to make things into a science. I was taking heart rates of the pitcher when they got out of the game, trying to understand their recovery. And like, honestly, it wasn't even good data, but that was before Catapult. I was doing that in 2012. And I think Catapult started 2009 in Australia. And I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. But and if, for the listeners who don't know what Catapult is, it's basically a jacket of sorts that has a sensor in it that measures GPS metrics. So it measures like their runs. Now they can measure rotational acceleration, like basically a tracking device. I didn't even know that existed. And I was doing that in 2012 myself. And that's part of why the Cardinals hired me back full time is because they saw me doing that. They And everyone knows where it's going. Like data runs everything. And I mean, to those people who say, well, I don't need that, I wonder if it's they don't understand how to use technology. So they're kind of using like a coping mechanism or they just don't understand how helpful it can be. I don't understand that personally, but I would just say it's going even further that direction. And so part of why I went back to school, part of why I was involved in research, like that's where the game is going. I wanted to tell you the story before, right in the beginning, but I played baseball my entire life, like from T-ball all the way up. When I was going into my freshman year of high school, they made me switch to softball. I had to switch. And in my Mm -hmm. opinion, having played both, I mean, up through eighth grade baseball, but they are two different sports, just having to have many similarities between the two of them. How mm-hmm. were you, you were a division one softball catcher. How were you able to reset yeah. your knowledge of pitch sequencing from one sport to the other? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm still working on it is the answer. Cause I'm still fairly new to being like a hitting coach. Right. So game strategies, and I've been honest with everyone about that, is like getting into the Yankees organization. It's like they asked me my strengths and weaknesses, and I'm like, well, I can coach the hell of a swing, and I feel totally confident. I've been coaching the body for 10 years. Now I'm just coaching it in the cages. Like this is very a natural switch for me. The biggest thing is like game strategy and knowing the count and the pitcher and what he threw last time. And like those are similar concepts to softball, but I haven't exercised those mental muscles for 10 years. And then now it is a little different in baseball. So I think it's just that definitely is something I'm still working on. I would like to point out that you said it is different. The game is different, but there's the motions are very similar, like throwing a ball and hitting the ball are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. But the game in softball is a lot faster and if you're a shortstop, you can't take your time getting rid of the ball. You like the game. It's just like it's a shorter. There's obviously 
a lot more bunting and slapping. There's The game is played differently itself. The movements are not different. And so the movement side of it is like where I excel and I can point out flaws in a swing very easily. And I can also talk quite a bit, obviously, about eye tracking. But the game strategy, I'm like, I just sit next to the manager and I'm like, okay, what did you think on that pitch? What should he have done here? What's the, th-? you know, so those are things that I'm definitely growing in for sure. Funny you say that because I was a shortstop and when the first thing that they made yeah. me work on as a softball player was I was too long. I was too long to, to throw yeah. the, the ball at first base and eventually that got figured exactly. out. But that was the main thing. That's so funny you said that. Meeting the needs of the players. I saw that you uh, taught yourself Spanish to be a more effective coach, but you actually called the, the players your Rosetta Stone, which I loved. And I guess you were theirs. Yeah. Could you talk about just the level of vulnerability needed to establish that avenue of communication? Not everyone in baseball learns Spanish. It's just something that I knew that I was going to have to do, especially when I first got in was working at the rookie level, like, I was brand new, I was a girl, and I knew that if I wanted to connect with these guys, I was going to have to learn Spanish. So immediately, I just dove in. After a couple of days of rough communication, I was like, that's it. And I kind of I showed up to dynamic warm-up with like, all of the words translated into Spanish, and I read it straight from the paper, But and it was rough for sure at first. But it became this beautiful like bonding point because... Not only was I showing vulnerability, which anytime you show vulnerability to anyone in any form, it's an opportunity to grow the relationship. But specifically with them, I was being vulnerable in the exact same way that they are vulnerable, which is learning another language. I was, you know, I was learning Spanish. They were learning English. We were trading words. I was constantly asking them. I was constantly getting better. I got so much better by the end of that season that I felt comfortable, like not conversationally, but coaching in the weight room. I felt very comfortable doing that. I'm just glad that I didn't let, because I, I mean, I must have, I probably spoke like an illiterate, like drunk person in Spanish. <laughs> like, I don't know what I said. I was just like, I would speak horribly and then they would correct me. And I'm just glad that I didn't let that deter me from talking. Because I think a lot of coaches just shy away from it because they don't say it perfectly. So they just like, don't want to say it at all. The million dollar question is, do you know any other Spanish other than baseball terminology? Yeah, I do. I, I didn't at first, but now I can, I can hold a, a pretty decent conversation I can say almost everything I need to say, but um, it's still difficult listening and understanding what they're saying because they just talk so fast, especially Mm -hmm. the Dominicans. So you've heard, and this is a quote from an article I saw, um, from teams, quote, I want to hire you, but our organization is just not going to hire a female in that role. And another quote here, I would never hire, or whatever, the team would never hire a woman. I just, let's the listening audience be clear. What year was this, 1950? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was 2013. Wow. Yeah. You've got uh, two master's degrees, and this is like the, the, the coolest thing that, that I saw that you did. Two master's degrees in sports performance, five baseball internships, yet you were overlooked. And then you changed Rachel LeRae on your resume and Division One softball player to Division One catcher, and the phone rang off the hook. I thought that was ingenious. That was awesome. What were some of the reactions of, of the guy on the other end that are like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What just happened? So it was it was pretty short-lived because it got real awkward real quick. But I was, I was desperate at that point because I understood what I was up against, being that the previous season I had been told uh, directly that the guy wanted to hire me, he said, but but the administration wouldn't let him type of thing. And right. also that he had called around to other teams and asked on my behalf and sent my resume. And they were like, yeah, we already got that resume and we can't hire a woman. So... 
I was pretty naive up until that point in my career, and then I wasn't naive at all. So I wasn't naive, so I changed my you know, my resume. And my idea was like maybe I can just get on the phone with somebody, and they'll be impressed by me, and then I'll get an opportunity. Well, that was me being desperate. You know, that was not gonna work, but. It, it worked to get on the phone with someone and basically I sent out my resumes and I got immediate responses via email saying, hey, like we got your resume, would you like to set up an interview? So I was kind of going back and forth with people to set up times for the, the coming weeks and then I got a phone call. I was out with my friends one day and I got a phone call from a number I didn't know and I answered and I said hello and he said, I'm looking for Ray and I, I was just shocked and I was like, oh my god, it worked. <laughs> I was like, uh, this is she and he was like, uh, and you could hear like the shuffling of the papers in the background he was like, um, he's like, I just want to make sure that I have the right name and I was like, yeah, well, there's only one way to say Ray. He was just surprised it was a woman, of course. He was like, well, I'm calling about the job. Are you interested in that? And I was like, yeah, of course I'm interested, but I'm just, this isn't a great time. Can we talk tomorrow? I was like, yeah, yeah I'll call you tomorrow afternoon. Well, I never heard from him, called him, did not answer, emailed him, ghosted me, he just like completely ghosted. And I felt so bad, like just, it just didn't feel good. Not bad for lying, but it didn't feel good to get rejected like that. And I just was like, I had to just say to myself, you know, if, if they didn't want to hire me because I'm a woman, then I probably just don't want to work for that human being. Like they just, yeah. that doesn't sound like a good person. I ended up responding to those emails that I had gotten as Rachel. Then I didn't hear from them. So, so I, I was like, well, that's a, another like rude awakening, but also just, it was a, a strange point of hope because people were responding to my resume. So I was like, okay, they like my resume. It's good enough. It's getting attention. It's like, it's just a matter of time before something gives that didn't get me a job. Um, but it definitely, again, opened my eyes to what was going on and also just kind of gave me a little bit of hope, you know? So you've been coaching for you know a long time. Do you feel that you should be maybe... But maybe like farther along than like you currently are. Specifically, what do you mean by that? Like, like in climbing the ladder, let's just say. Like, like what came to my mind when I thought of this was, I mean, we'll just put it out there. Like a guy like Aaron Boone, who has like literally zero coaching experience, and he's just crowned the manager of the Yankees, and here you are busting your butt, you know, the whole story. And I don't. It's just a trend around the league where guys are just being anointed into the the. the let's just say the number one position on field position in a baseball organization. And here you are grinding up along the way and, and working really hard over all the years. And, and you are where you are. Do you see yourself like, should, do you see yourself like, Oh, should I have, should I be like a first base coach by now? Should I be a third base coach by now? No, I don't even, this job is perfect for me. It's not my first go around in baseball and there, I don't, I don't think it's as big of a change as people from the outside think because of what I mentioned, like I've been in baseball for this is my seventh season. And like, I know the way it goes, like I'm not, you know, and I understand all the processes. And I have ridden the bus 12 hours overnight, you know, I have stayed in the hotels, and I have gone through a season and I have lived in the Dominican Republic, like all of those things that are helping me right now. Um, and also, I've coached for 10 years, and I've coached the body for 10 years. And so the same way that I coach a hip hinge and rotation in the weight room is the same way I coach it in the cages. Okay. So all of that is like, okay, yeah, I could probably be at a double A level or what, or I could, I don't know, maybe I could be at a higher level, or who knows, I feel like I'm a high level coach. But there are some skills that I, I don't want to skip steps. And, and there's a lot that I can learn here. So that's why I'm doing this, you know, so I know, I don't, I feel like, 
like think about even from a broader from a hundred thousand foot view it's like no nah, i've made history twice under the age of 35 i'm i'm good you know <laughs> i'm 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 happy with what I've accomplished, but also I'm like happy that I'm in a place where I really feel like I need to learn. It feels good in some ways to be novice in a few specific areas, like I said, like understanding pitch sequence and I should say remembering pitch sequence or remembering like, oh, this is where the defense is in this situation and like what. So just like kind of flexing those muscles again, I by no means think that I should be a major league coach today, even though I did interview for a major league coaching position. I'm almost happy. It was almost a relief when I didn't get it because I was like, okay, great. I get to be in a situation where I can really dig my hands in with younger players that are first coming up that need really macro level changes to their swing and not these tiny, teeny little, you know, finite things that big league players might need. This is a better situation for me to learn and grow. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe if I was a man, I'd have gotten a higher job, but I'm thankful. I look back at all the internships that I had to do and I'm thankful that I had to do more. You know, I, I always tell women, it's like, you know what? You're going to have to work harder, but don't complain about it because that gives you a much more robust resume in the end. And my resume is untouchable. There's not another human being on the face of the earth. I can, I, I like literally have never met anyone, not one person, not in any field that has as diverse and as strong of a resume as I do. In some ways that was because I was discriminated against and I was the underdog and I felt like I had to do more. But I'm glad. I'm glad now, you know, it paid off and I'm glad that I had all those experiences and that I could experience different organizations and see how they operated and that's all positive. So I don't ever envy anyone that gets something faster than me. I really don't because I know I'm going to get there. I don't envy them going faster because I get to take my time to develop and I'm not saying that Eric Boone needs to be a GCL hitting coach, by the way, let's be clear. I'm just saying for me personally, I really value this opportunity to grow and learn in an environment where I can throw bad batting practice and not get booed off the field. <laughs> like, I can, you know, like that's a good thing. So I'm not, I don't need to fast track it. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there and beyond and I'm not worried about it. Well, what have you been hearing about a 2020 baseball return? Nothing. Anything? Nothing. <laughs> no. You probably, you probably know more than I do. I don't know. No. I heard something about on like something about being um, in the Rangers stadium or I, I mean, look, like I, I get the little bit of amount of Twitter that I get and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly now on, on literature in a, in a COVID-19 world, I was looking through again, your Instagram story, this one that you posted, it's, it's meditations by Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor. Mm-hmm. And this stuck out to mm-hmm. me. It says, remember how long you've been putting this off, how many extensions the gods gave you and you didn't use them. At some point you have to recognize that what the world is that you belong to and if you don't use it to free yourself it will be gone and will never return and obviously this Mm -hmm. goes without saying that we're living in a historically bad time okay but how have you utilized this time to free yourself i can't even tell you the amount of expansion that has happened in my life in the past two months but the thing is is when this all happened and i don't mean to be insensitive because i know that there are people that are losing their lives and there are families that know you know i don't want to be insensitive But at the same time, I choose to be radically positive about things that go on. Like I choose things to go, okay, first of all, how can I help? And so within a day or two of us being sent home from Major League Baseball, I started a GoFundMe. I've pledged $5 a day that we're off of baseball and I'm asking other people to join in. I let it build up to about five or $600, which takes about a week. 
and then I donate it to a different cause. And so far, I've been able to donate $4,500 to food banks and medical supplies and a minor league baseball organization that gets money to minor league baseball players in need during this time. So that's the first thing is just, and that's brought so much positivity. And and by the way, shameless plug because it's for a good cause. Anyone I was going to tell you. Please, yeah, go ahead. Yes, please. Just you can go to the link in my bio, and it's really it's at the top of my homepage. It just says donate to my GoFundMe. Five dollars helps, and it takes sixty seconds. So if you're listening, get on your smartphone while you're listening and do it at underscore Rachel Balkovec. If you can spell Balkovec, you can find me. Okay, so it's either it's in my Twitter bio, but it's also in my Instagram bio. It's on my website. If you can find me, you can find it. It's at the top of my homepage in like a blue lettering. You can't miss it. But so yeah, first thing is how can I help? how can I contribute that's been a blessing it's brought people together I've accepted almost every podcast zoom radio thing that I can possibly do so that every time I get on an interview I just ask for a small donation from that person and it's like it's created this community in this weird way and it's like I don't know that that's been a blessing in itself when they send everyone home I don't really have a home I but my little sister is a nurse and my parents are 65 so I just I didn't go there and I went to Utah and I ended up meeting with a very close friend of mine and it's been phenomenal to spend time with her she's another really really successful strong woman been hiking I've been watching a ton of video and so I've just been having more time to study I would say like our hitters and our players than when I showed up and it was like okay you show up it's minicamp. Like there's no, it's like you're working a lot of hours and there's not a lot of time to sit down and sift through hours and hours of video and sift through some of our numbers and our analytics and understand what those things are. So taking some time to do the studying part of coaching, which you don't really always get in season. So that's been phenomenal. Connecting with people like yourself has been phenomenal. It's like, I just, I don't know. I feel like this is for me a blessing. I feel like it's a blessing for everyone, even if we're going through something hard. And I can only say that because I've Every single time I go through something hard, whether that's my credit card maxing out or, I mean, countless stories. Every time I've gone through something difficult, it's been the largest blessing. It's brought so much reflection. It's brought so many great people into my life. And so I just know that that's going to be the case for everyone. The problem is in the middle of this doesn't feel like that. But we're probably all of us are going to look back on this and go, wow, remember when I had more time with my kids? Remember when I had more time to read? Remember when I, I've, I've talked to several people who've lost their businesses and they're like, you know what? I realized I didn't want to do that. And now I'm going to do this other thing. You know, it's like, whoa, like this is, this is massive growth for all of us. And I just hope that we can all take a positive perspective at some point. Well, for those of you guys um, listening, I will retweet the link to her COVID-19 fundraiser and Rachel, I'm going to match your donation um, as well for today. So I just want to say oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. It was awesome. You were great. And uh, hey, let's go Yankees whenever that's going to be, right? Yeah. Go Pinstripe. That does it for this episode of Power Players Powered by Radio.com. I'm Danielle McCartan, your hostess with the mostess. We've taken the podcast live on any platform that you get your podcasts from, whether that be Google Podcasts, on Spotify, or on Apple Podcasts. Type in Power Players and you'll find it. Stay tuned on my social media channels for the next episode at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter and on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. See you next time. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. 
Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.